Hello there, and welcome to KDL's Stump the Librarian podcast, where your friendly neighborhood librarians put their research skills to the test to answer questions from you, the listener, or your pet poodle, your zookeeper, your Aunt Gloria. I'm Jill, and I'm here with Liz. Hi, Liz. Hi, Jill. We love answering your questions, so please send them to us at kdl.org forward slash stump, or email us at stumpthelibrarian at kdl.org. You can email us your thoughts on our answers, too. We love to hear from you you. Okay, Liz, I have a a before the podcast question for you. (laughs) I'm ready. What has been your favorite birthday so far? That's a toughie. Yeah. I do love birthdays. Me too. Okay. I have to say like probably it's a toss up. When I turned 16, of course, I got my driver's license. So that was one that I'll always remember. That's exciting. From when I was a kid, Um, My birthday sometimes overlaps with Easter. I have a spring birthday. And when I turned nine, my birthday was on Easter, which was just kind of fun to have a birthday when we were doing other things with our family. But my grandmother put my picture in the newspaper. (gasps) Like she submitted it for like a happy birthday thing. And so... I don't know. That's a big deal. We don't have newspapers every day like we used to, but to see my picture in the newspaper when I was nine was the biggest thrill. It was the best birthday. Oh, that is exciting. (laughs) How about you? Do you have a memorable birthday? Uh, Yes. So my most memorable birthday was when I was eight and it used to be, I do not know if children today have the pleasure of this, but McDonald's used to have <laughs> oh, birthday yes. parties. Yes. <laughs> and I always wanted a McDonald's birthday party. And for my eighth birthday, I had a McDonald's birthday party. <laughs> and I was so excited. And you play all these games and Ronald McDonald comes out. Wow. I know. And you would like stack the Big Mac containers yes. and you get Oh, I was going to say you get crowns, but I don't think you do because that's Burger King. But you got, I had something on my you head. You probably got a party hat. Yeah, I think it was kind. a party hat, but mm-hmm. I got so excited. I threw up. Oh, no. And I still remember it. I was just like jumping all over the place. I'm a kind of excitable, so I was very excited. So excited you couldn't contain yourself. I overexcited myself. Well, I'm sorry that that happened. You know, it was still a great birthday party, and I still had fun after. <laughs> it didn't ruin it for me. What a thrill. <laughs> so, you know, if that has happened to you, you're not alone. <laughs> it has happened. <laughs> oh, thanks for sharing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Jill, do you have a question from I a listener? Do. Okay, so this question from a listener is from... My coworker Cam. Okay. I'm so excited to answer this question. But before I answer, I want to tell you. Thanks, Cam. I know. Thanks, Cam. I want to tell you about Cam. Cam works at our Kellogg'sville branch. And if you have never been to our Kellogg'sville branch listener, it is one of our library branches that is in Kellogg'sville High School. Fun. Yeah. So it's part of the high school building, but it's open to the public too. Interesting. Yeah. So that's where where Cam works. And Cam also works at Wyoming because Kellogg'sville doesn't have as many hours. It's kind of a shorter, uh, has shorter hours over there. So he works here too. And Cam, like me, 
has two cockapoos. So we like to look at pictures of our cockapoos <laughs> together. It's and a little tiny dog. Yeah. Yes, it's okay. a little dog. Yep. His dogs are like just a tiny bit bigger than my two dogs. Um, but they're all small dogs, like less than mm-hmm. 15 pounds. Okay. So we have, between the two of us, we have four cockapoos. It's a lot. Little curly dogs. Yes. And um, Cam's question was really three questions. <laughs> what does hypoallergenic mean? Can dogs and cats really be hypoallergenic? What breeds are hypoallergenic? Okay. Let's see if we're going to tackle all these questions today. <laughs> so, and I, just a, a spoiler, uh, poodles are often listed as being hypoallergenic, which, you know, is why probably Cam wanted to know about our dogs, which are part poodle. What does hypoallergenic mean? Oh, oh, here it is. This is a <laughs> bombshell. I'm ready. This is why libraries are so important, Liz, because libraries help people find the best information. (laughs) For-profit companies like makeup companies or face cream companies that are like, I'm hypoallergenic. They are trying to help people find information that help them sell their stuff. But libraries are helping people find things that are the best, most scientific information. Oh, no. (laughs) Hypoallergenic is a marketing word. Ooh, it's not Wait really. A, it's not really a science word. So the dogs are not hypoallergenic. Oh. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. Oh, no. So hypoallergenic means relatively unlikely to cause an allergic reaction. You can see this word on so many things: soap, clothing, cleaning solutions, dogs, cats. <laughs> Here's the thing about this word: I looked it up on the FDA website. FDA stands for Food and Drug Administration, and it's a government organization that regulates our food and it regulates products like beauty products and things like that to make sure that companies are selling what they say they're selling or they're not lying on their packaging. And here's what they say about hypoallergenic. And I put this link right in in our show notes so you can read this for yourself. This is what they say. There are no federal standards or definitions of this word hypoallergenic. Companies can use it to mean anything they want. And this says this right on their website. Dermatologists, that's doctors who deal with like makeup and uh, skin. So they would think about makeup and creams and things like that. Dermatologists say that this word hypoallergenic has very little meaning. So the FDA does not regulate dogs. They do regulate makeup and creams, um, which is what dermatologists would care about. So how about this word as it's related to dogs. I don't know. We already said they're not. (laughs) It's okay. It's all right. There was a 2012 study that came out in the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology. I I posted the journal link. It's not an easy read, but I did post it. So you can see where I got this information from. And this is what it says. The findings are objective scientific studies do not support the idea of hypoallergenic dogs. I know. This study was specific to dogs, but, um, and I don't know if there have been studies about cats, but some of the other sources I looked at basically lumped them in together. So, but this particular study, and I am going to talk a little bit more about this study was only on dog households. And they looked both at dogs and their skin and dog households. So there's not enough evidence to call any dogs hypoallergenic. Allergens from dogs and cats that cause humans 
to have itchy eyes, runny noses, or other allergic reactions. It's not found in their fur, which is common misconception. Like, oh, it's the fur I'm allergic to. It's really not. It's from their skin, which we call dander. You maybe heard that word. Um, it also comes from their saliva, their spit. Mm-hmm. So when they clean themselves and it gets on their fur. So I guess that might be why we think it's on the fur. Um, dogs are typically considered hypoallergenic that shed less, like my poodles and Cam's poodles. My poodles don't shed. Um, you have to get them groomed and get their hair cut just like ours. Um, and so there are other dogs like that that don't shed. It's not just poodles. And that's why people typically say those are hypoallergenic dogs because their fur isn't all over their house the way it might be if you have a golden retriever or a Labrador. They shed like crazy and you get their fur all over you. But what if you're allergic to their spit? Oh, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, this 2012 study looked at homes um, with dogs that are considered hypoallergenic and homes with dogs that are not considered hypoallergenic. And they found that the homes themselves have the same level of allergens. Mm-hmm. So it didn't make a difference. And then this is wild. The protein that that we're allergic to that is in their dander, that's in their spit, um, it's called CAN-F1. It was that protein was found to be higher in poodles, oh my the highest of all dogs, <laughs> the so-called hypoallergenic dogs, and lowest in Labrador retrievers, which are supposedly ones that people are very allergic to. So that's interesting. That this, interesting. Is, this is what the scientific study showed that no, indeed, I, I'm not even going to list what people say are hypoallergenic <laughs> dogs because the science doesn't back it up. But here's the thing about allergies. People can react differently to different dogs, even different dogs in the same breed. Mm -hmm. Um, So it really depends on you and your allergies and the dog. So scientifically speaking, there's no evidence that dogs are hypoallergenic, but there's probably ones that you can be around and ones that are harder for you to be around. That makes sense. And then I did read an article that was from um, the Mail clinic. Um, and it talked about allergies and what you can do if you have pets and allergies, or if you have maybe somebody coming over who has allergies and what you can do if you have a dog or a cat, you can vacuum and you can, you could get a high quality HEPA air filter that would help get that out of the air. Um, and don't let your furry friend in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. That makes a difference. And then I thought this was interesting. You can just wipe your pet down with like a fragrance-free baby wipe. Oh. Just wipe them down. I think that they might like that. I feel like my dogs wouldn't mind it and my cat would be so mad. She <laughs> would be fair. like, how dare you? <laughs> and so, it, you know, I do have friends who are allergic to pets and it hasn't made a difference. My so-called hypoallergenic dogs coming into my house. And I have other people who say, you know... These are dogs I can be around. And it's probably really not because they're specifically hypoallergenic. Well, it isn't based mm-hmm. on that scientific study. It's more that those are dogs that you can be around because your allergies don't bother you as much with those kinds of dogs. Makes sense. So if you're going to get a dog, just go test out a few different dogs. <laughs> see which ones. See if you have a reaction. Make you itch. <laughs> oh, oh I was goodness. like, oh no, <laughs> everything I thought I knew about hypoallergenic dogs. Just have to do your research. It's really true. This is, it's why it's so important to have a library. That's right. 
And what we enjoy doing, for sure. It definitely is. <laughs> do you have a fact of the day today, I Jill? I do. My fact of the day is from the book, The World's Wildest Places and the People Protecting Them. It's a DK book, and the cover has really cool animals on it, including, as we talked about a few weeks ago, my very favorite animal, the tiger. tiger. And each kind of section of this book, it's not really chapters, it's more like sections, um, has a country. And then it talks about like different things that are in that country and different ways that people are trying to protect that country. So I am going to bring a fact of the day from the country Venezuela. And this is a creepy fact. So oh, no. Yes. This, this book has a mix of pictures and and then drawings which I love that kind of illustration so here's my fact bullet ants bullet ants are the biggest ants in the world their sting is 30 times more painful than the bees and it takes 24 hours for the pain of the sting to wear off completely what (laughs) so I mean this is the wildest places in the world I think Venezuela might not be the right place if you want to avoid Whoa. the bullet ant. Wow. Is there a picture of them? Yes, they're huge. I don't know if I want to see it. Okay. Here's the <laughs> illustration version. Okay. He's like, he's like. Oh, that just looks like a normal ant. I don't know. Look at He's like as big as the base of the whole cactus. It's all in perspective. I suppose. <laughs> he's, he's smaller than a flamingo. <laughs> that is true. But he looks like he's almost as big as this parakeet, which are also common in Venezuela. Okay. Well, thanks for that. Now you're scared. Scared to go visit. Wasn't on my list, but now. (laughs) Well, what question do you have for us today, Liz? Jill, I have a fantastic question today. And it's one you might have heard of before, but um, we're going to do a little research. Uh, This question comes from Luke, who is nine years old, from Ada. And he asked, why do wombats poop cubes? Have you ever heard that before? You have have not. I really haven't. I did not know that. Well, I was super excited for this question because I have heard of it before, but I didn't really know why or whatever. (laughs) And wombats are so cute. They're so cute. And so it was fun when I was doing my research, looking at pictures of them. Um, You might recall in a previous podcast that I researched a question about spiders, which I did not enjoy looking at pictures of. These were better pictures. These were (laughs) a million times better. So I started my research at KDL's World Book Kids database, which is a great online resource, um, and gathering some, I was just gathering some basic facts. Um, Wombats are mammals native to Australia. They were mistaken for badgers by early settlers because of their size and shape, so if you can imagine what a badger looks like. They are herbivores, so they eat vegetation, bark, and roots, and they live about 15 years in the wild, but longer in captivity. The oldest wombat recorded that was living in a zoo lived to age 34, and they're typically slow-moving. They have kind of short legs and a wide body, 
But I saw a video of one running, and they can reach speeds of 25 miles an hour. Is that funny For looking? a little <laughs> short-legged creature, it was pretty great. I enjoyed that. <laughs> um, there are three different species of wombat. The common wom- wombat, the northern hairy-nosed wombat, which is an endangered species, and the southern hairy-nosed wombat. But all three species are protected under Australian law. Um, the, the wombats themselves spend their days underground in burrows. Um, they come out at night to feed, which makes them nocturnal. Oh, although yes. they do come out if it's kind of gray and overcast kind of conditions, they, yeah. they might come out in the daytime. But most of the time they are down underground because it's really hot in Australia too. Yeah. Um, so their closest relative is a koala. Oh. <laughs> Another very cute animal. So cute. And what we just uh, talked about. We did. Uh, wombats are marsupials. So they have a pouch, um, like a kangaroo would have a pouch. Um, when they give birth, usually just, I think, one at a time, then the baby crawls into the pouch and then gets bigger and grows inside. But... An amazing adaptation that I learned about wombats is their pouch faces backwards. So you think of like a kangaroo, you know, the pouch is right up in front and they, you could, you know, look in. Yeah. It, it's on the, the openings on the bottom because oh. wombats spend so much time digging and burrowing that this is just an adaptation that so they animal. don't shove dirt in so the pouch? So they don't have dirt in their pouch. Isn't Whoa, that fascinating? That's really that, fascinating. Like, blew my mind. <laughs> so they because they live underground, they do a lot of digging in the dirt and they can they live in these giant networks of burrows, but they're pretty solitary. So there might be more than one wombat in a burrow, but they don't live together with other wombats. Um, another fun fact I learned, we haven't even gotten to the best part yet, but I learned <laughs> so much that they use their rear ends as defense. Oh. So, um, so they live in these burrows and if they notice that there's a predator coming maybe to like see what's in the burrow, they will back out. So their rear end like fills up the space to get into their burrow and then the so they face in, but they put their, their rear end towards the entrance of the burrow. And then they have another amazing adaptation is that they have a cartilage plate that is under their fur um, all over their, their rear end that is so strong that it could break an animal's skull. <gasps> like it could crack their skull. It's so strong. So you think of like cartilage oh. in our body or like in our noses that it's pretty flexible but it's yeah. it's it's pretty strong too so that's like their main um defense oh, is wow. this this plate in their rear end that they use to block out their burrows i thought that was fascinating but on to the poo <laughs> <laughs> these cubes they poop cubes have actually and this is another thing we've talked about before has baffled scientists oh. I because they are nocturnal for the most part and they live in these burrows, they're really difficult for scientists to study. They just, they're not out in their environment in the daytime, so they're really hard to study. Um, but they do know that a wombat's 
intestines draws all of the water out of their poop. So it makes it really, really dry. They can take up to 18 days to digest a meal. Oh, wow. So they don't need a lot of food and water because it takes them so long to digest. Mm -hmm. But there are two flexible portions of their intestines and two rigid portions of their intestines, which helps like form the cubes. And then they poop cubes. (laughs) And they don't, scientists don't really understand exactly how it happens, but it it happens inside of their bodies. um, And it's really, really dry. So they live in these hilly places in Australia and they, (laughs) they stack their little cubes to mark their territory. And because it's hilly and they poop cubes, it doesn't roll around. So they can like mark where they've been. They can mark where they live. And then other wombats that are out, like read the mail. They know (laughs) who's been there and they know, um, yeah, like (laughs) who lives in that burrow by the little cubes that they stack outside. Do they stack them with their little paws? <laughs> I guess. Oh, wow. I, okay. I didn't right. see any video of that, okay. actually. Yeah. But, I mean, if, um, if they're nocturnal, and right. they, they don't let other people see them do that, stack their poop. It was really a fascinating wow. um, animal to study. Um, can we see wombats in the United States? They are not native to the, to the United States, but there are two... Maybe two zoos that I found. I found some conflicting information online. But the mm-hmm. Albuquerque Zoo in New Mexico has wombats. And um, I had one resource that said the San Diego Zoo in California okay. had wombats. But I checked their website and I didn't see it listed. So I'm not sure. Maybe they have them, they but they're to, not um, viewable by the public. Oh, That's yeah. possible, too. So have to go to Australia to actually see see them but very adorable animals very interesting natural adaptations that help them live their best wombat life in Australia it was it was great it was a great question really amazing that that is a really fantastic question Animals are amazing. Yeah. I say that every time we research. <laughs> I love researching animals. Send in all your animal questions. Oh, man. So and many your animals. physics questions. <laughs> Jill loves physics. <laughs> you know what? I like stretching myself. It's okay. <laughs> well, I actually have a book recommendation as well. That's a wombat book. Oh, that's fun. I know. I was researching it, and I had read this book a while ago, um, and it... I looked in KDL's um, catalog, and it is available as a book, you know, a print book that you can read, but it's also available as an audio book on oh. Hoopla, okay, which perfect. means no waiting. If you yep. find it on Hoopla, you can borrow it right away. So this book is called Braver. It's a Wombat's Tale by Suzanne Selfers. So this is a talking animal book love them or if you don't love them i mean usually people are one way or the other i love talking animals i don't love talking animals i'm not generally a talking animal fan but i did enjoy this story because it was about a wombat and we said when we were doing our research that they are solitary creatures but this wombat's name is lola the hero of the story she loves to chat (laughs) 
she, <laughs> she wants to talk to everyone and her parents have a really tough time with her because she just wants to be out and visiting. And that's not what wombats do. Oh. <laughs> they go in their burrow and they go out to eat and they go back to their burrow. But she's always out there talking to the mice and finding out what's going on in their little wombat neighborhood. So... Um, one day when she is out chatting with the other mice, um, her parents are abducted <gasps> by the Tasmanian devils, oh, no. which is another species of animal that lives in Australia. So Lola has to go out on a quest to rescue her parents. And it's really an interesting story because she meets lots of animals that we don't have here in yeah. the United States. So, of course, she's very chatty and very social, so she wants to team up with some other animals to help her on her quest to find her parents. So she ends up befriending a swamp water rat and a baby penguin to help her rescue her parents. So there's lots of interesting Australian facts about the country and about the animals. Um, It's a real hero's journey because we are rooting for Lola to make it on her quest to rescue her parents from the Tasmanian devils. Mm -hmm. Um, Very quirky, um, great voices in the audio. If you're an audiobook fan, I would recommend this book, Braver. A Wombat Story by Suzanne Selfers. I hope you check it out. Oh, that's fun, especially just I know. matches your question oh, perfectly. Man. It's a great story. I think that you'll like it. Oh. So what what you learn today, Liz? Oh, I learned <laughs> I learned the heartbreaking news that dogs oh. are not in fact hypo. I feel like I mm. I mean I kinda knew that, but just to hear you say the words. Yeah. <laughs> but there are non shedding. Right. Like Right. They they that, don't shed. No. And it's not really the fur that people are allergic to. Right. It's the dander okay. and the... And the drool. The drool. The yeah. spit. Yep. yep. Okay. So I learned that today. How yeah. about you? Did you learn something today? Oh, I knew almost nothing about wombats. I don't even know if I knew they were marsupials. I probably did. Yeah. But I don't know. But so I learned that their pouches are backwards, which oh, is fascinating. And amazing. I, I wrote down, I learned cartilage butts oh yes yeah what What? other defense do they have that's that's that's, I mean they're really cute and fluffy they don't look like they have a lot of defenses no but I do like that uh that panel there yeah can you keep themselves yeah it's like keep out of my burrow (laughs) yeah enter at your own risk and like right into their rear end yeah that's funny oh my gosh I can picture it (laughs) you should because really they're so cute (laughs) But I guess that's it for today. Thanks for all of your amazing questions and for helping us to learn more about our world too. For more information or to send us your own questions, head to kdl.org forward slash stump and tune into the next episode where we answer even more of your questions. We want to give a huge and special thanks to the KDL Programming Department, the KDL Marketing Department, and J.D. Delinsky for our intro and outro music. Thank you!